the Yoda Asia's monthly podcast, the FNA Food and Beverage Trailblazers. This is a series where we speak to and get to know more about groundbreaking food and beverage firms in the Asia-Pacific region, as well as the people behind them and their stories. I am Pearlie, the editor of Food and Asia, and as always, I am your host for this series. Joining me today is Chris Langwalner, founder and CEO of Singapore-based What If Foods. What If Foods specializes in harnessing the power of underutilized crops, such as Barbara groundnuts, or as they call them, bum nuts, to innovate familiar everyday foods and produce sustainable, nutrient-rich products. So hello, Chris. Welcome, first of all, and thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, good afternoon. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be on your podcast. Uh, thank you very much for hosting. Thank you very much for having me. Wonderful. Really great to have you here today. And I would like to start by talking a little bit more about What If Foods itself. So, of course, first things first, people like to know, how did the name What If Foods come about? You know, what sort of products are you making? Could you give us a bit of an introduction? That's a very exciting question because uh, it is definitely an unusual name for a, for a food product or for a range of food products for different categories. But what we always have done is we've always questioned the way foods are manufactured. Because as you know, the agri-food industry today uh, is, is an industry that um, empties out land, leaves land behind, leaves them unproductive. Uh, farming communities, particularly smallholder farming communities, do have a challenge to actually make crops grow uh, on that land that has been left behind by intensive agriculture. And uh, so we have been really, really always inspired by asking, what if we do things differently? What if we, we turn food on its head uh, and what is the result? What is it what we can actually uh, develop thereafter? And what are the possibilities we can generate? So what if food actually started off with a question mark? But as we now prove one category at a time that it is possible to do food differently, that to do agriculture uh, differently, we probably end up by saying, what if foods are made this way? As simple as that. For the benefit of listeners who might not be so familiar with the type of crops that you work with, you know, such as bum nuts, could you tell us more about these? You know, what have you chosen to work with these to innovate food products from? Um, what we have done is we have basically said, look, step back a little bit from that hype that is out there in terms of plant protein, plant foods, uh, vegan foods, and all of these trends that are really bringing exciting uh, new consumers to a table and make us move forward in the right direction one step at a time. However, many of these sort of uh, products do not have answers on uh, significant challenges that smallholder farming communities have, as well as if you look at the, the dairy, uh, uh, the nutritious needs of us consumers, many of these products don't have, have really an answer. More frequently than not, these new sort of created food items are probably even more mm, damaging to your health than, than, than the original product was. Um, so there is this need of really approaching food holistically. There is this need of looking into, hey, what are crops that are complete in their own nature? What are these crops and why have they fallen through the cracks over the hundreds of years? So that is one selection criteria of the crops that we are working with. Second, uh, selection criteria is and we are looking at are these crops really capable of growing on really challenged land on land that essentially is not really productive anymore because intensive monoculture like palm oil for example has left that parcel of land behind owners of these lands are now left without income and therefore suffer to make a meaningful livelihood uh, on these lands and uh, and so on and so forth that is the selection criteria. This is what, what we do for those sort of regenerative crops that we work with that we put into our foods. 
this is the beginning of a total new era. So what we call today sustainability is something that I think is just not good enough. Uh, it, is, it doesn't really resolve a lot of the questions that are out there, and we need to go forward into a much more regenerative mode. So that is the first point I really want to stress here and emphasize. What is the sort of R&D and product development that goes into you know, the conception and the execution of such new food products from these new crops? How does that work for you guys? As you probably know, we are deriving about 75% of all food that we consume from 12 crops and five animals today. So that means that the entire agro-food industry is focused on only a few crops. Mm-hmm. Highly efficient processes, stainless steel factories are producing and turning around, you know, portions in the billions every hour, every minute as we are speaking. So that also brings with it that the current technologies that are out there are tailored to very efficient processes in factories, um, and they're not capable of actually working with these crops, with these regenerative crops that grow on this land that we have been discussing. So when we started to not only romanticize and look at these crops as a potential way of connecting with farming communities, when we actually looked at it, we actually understood, oh, hang on a second, there is a need to really innovate heavily uh, for uh, for the benefit of these crops, to bring them back alive, to make this food that we are so badly need um, nutrient-dense rather than just calorie-rich. So what it actually entails is an entire process of rethinking how, we, how that food is being manufactured. And we say we have to put it on its head, just really redesign it. While we don't want to really change the consumption habit of consumers, so if they are used to eating instant noodles, Uh, in three minutes or in five minutes, we wanted to keep it that way. So that we make a shift and a switch to our offering very, very convenient for consumers. But that requires to really think through as to why are we deep frying instant noodles? Is there a better way of doing that? And if so, what is it that we have to do with this particular ingredient that we are after? How do we have to treat it at the Barbara ground in order to make space for it in the recipe to make use of it and all of that stuff? So literally teams of uh, of 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 many are busy like uh, like the honeybees trying to make all of this work. How has reception been in Singapore? What are the main drivers you are seeing for consumers to try these and then come back and make return purchases? Essentially, our mission is is really to go after each food category, category by category, and really putting and turning these categories on its head. Because at the end of the day, what we are after is really trying to create planet-based foods that then become together a new sort of an offering for a basket of nutritious food products that, are, that, we, are, that we are after. Uh, as of now, we have three launched and the fourth one is coming in June. So, And therefore, we have a huge basket in the meantime of product offerings because each and every single category has several different flavors, like be it the Ubi shake or be it the Moringa noodles uh, or be it Suna Bum Nut Milk. The reception of consumers has been one of an, of an of a very interesting feedback because what we really see is that consumers are aware that the food that they consume is not good for themselves, neither for the family, of course, nor is it really good for the for the planetary health that is out there. Uh, what we also understood is that not many consumers really do appreciate the complexity in the supply chain. You know, today you have so many um, chains within the supply chain, so so many intermediary man. So that you really don't know where the food comes from. 
So what is interesting in the approach and the feedback that we got from consumers is while they always love to talk about its spiciness, its flavor profile, is enough garlic in there, is enough whatever, but we also have the more serious side of the conversation going on with our consumers, the, the serious conversation to say basically, oh, I did not know that instant noodles are actually deep fried. Mm -hmm. I did not know that I'm eating so much palm oil in the instant noodle that I'm consuming. I always thought, you know, I always thought that um, the seasoning packet is the really unhealthy part of it. And those sort of conversations we are having with consumers, and they are extraordinary. They are very uplifting because uh, many, many of them in the meantime do come back on a monthly basis, are partnering with us on an, on an, on an ongoing basis, which is very powerful, very uplifting. You get that feedback from, from, uh, from consumers that replenishing is wanting that they need because they know that they are sucking nutrients, they need it. Uh, we know that they want to reconnect and they want to actually know where this food is coming from. So basically, those sort of aspects are, are, are definitely on consumers' minds today. For consumers, have you seen any particular pain points that you know, you've had to particularly explain a bit more to consumers or educate them more on? The entire concept of regenerative crops and the selection process of these crops and why this is important and why we should actually go into it and why we should actually make sure that we are growing uh, food on land that is being left behind in order to ultimately stop deforestation. These are these are these are concepts or realities for us that are not second nature to many, um, because not many talk about it. So of course we had to stress the fact frequently. We have to talk about it frequently. People are asking, how do you select for these what we call regenerative crops, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So there is this need to actually educate because it's easier to understand. For example, say rice. Everybody understands. I don't have to explain, right? Um, everybody understands oat today because of the market leader in that space. But it is more complex and a little bit more challenging for a consumer to understand why the Pampara groundnut, why kachang poi in a milk, in a plant milk, you know? And that is the really, that was a bit of a challenge and that still is a, a challenge. And that is going to go on being a challenge because we're not growing up anymore in this basket of hundreds and hundreds of different plants that we're eating and consuming, like our ancestors did. For them, it was second nature, but uh, we have lost this connection with them. And uh, therefore, it's also one of our mission to basically say, well, let's reconnect those. You've been with some really big food companies previously, I know, you know, from Kerry to Olam. So what really drove you to this motto and to, you know, make this change, you know, take up entrepreneurship in a sustainable foods firm instead? The point is very simple. How we are manufacturing food today is just not good enough anymore. The industry is leaving to is leaving pain behind and doesn't create well-being. And I am of the firm belief that there is a better way of doing it. And there's a, there's a much more exciting way of doing it. Because as we actually progress into the next sort of phase post-COVID, I'm damn sure that the consumers will stand up and say, no, hang on a second. I don't want to do this anymore the old way. We have experienced a huge disruption and therefore let's look out for a new way and for something that is, is, is a little bit more progressive than what we have seen in the past. And as an entrepreneur, you kind of know that sometimes it really takes a little bit of a gut. You have to, you know, have to pull yourself together, find the right people around you. Uh, energize them, get energy from them, and then start really a movement. And that movement has to start within an organization. Mm 
anytime you open our doors, you should actually feel that energy. You should you should sense it the moment you come in. Um, and that is actually what, what this is all about. Uh, it is about having fun at work, knowing that what we're doing is progressive, knowing what we're doing is regenerative. It brings income back to farming communities that desperately need it. It replenishes the nutrients that we need for our busy lives, particularly on this pandemic with all these new stress levels that are hitting us. Um, and therefore, it is a super calling. Um, I enjoy every every minute of the work that we are doing. In terms of highlighting some challenges you have seen, you know, between being in a multinational, you know, coming over to entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial role, you know, what are some of the main ones that, you know, are really highlights for you? Great question. Okay. Now there are there are potentially two answers to your question. One is, one is what is it that you can't really do in multinationals and big setups? But I don't want to actually speak about that because who am I to talk about it? But what does it take to become an entrepreneur, or what does it take to be in a company such as Worry Foods? What does it take you to come and join? So I think the answer there is as an if you want to start and be an entrepreneur, I think. I, I keep on answering the question always the same. Don't start by just having fallen in love with your idea. Do not start the business unless and until you have double-checked, cross-checked, and triple-checked whether or not you have butterflies in your belly. Make sure you truly, truly, truly love what you're doing. Because as in other relationships, it's like a roller coaster. There will be ups and there will be downs. There will be a left turn and a right turn, and you sometimes don't know what's coming next. And if you have only butterflies in your stomach, meaning that you have just fallen in love with it, you really haven't checked in properly yet, sometimes that desire to keep on it is not strong enough. And then people fall and then they go out and then they start searching for a second job because they can't make the income that they need in order to sustain themselves and what have you. And that is the dangerous phase of being an entrepreneur. So I always say, make sure you truly understand the value proposition that you're after. In today's day and age, we have the SDGs that are clever t- goals or clever guidance, rather, that one can be after and say, I pick out one and I want to center my entire business around that, and so on and so forth. But uh, essentially, it is all about being very, very clear about what your business is, uh, is after, the purpose and why you do it, so that the challenges can be overcome as the presenters, and trust me, there always will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, there always will be challenges for an entrepreneur. Is there anything that you wish you had known when you had st- when you were starting What If Food, starting out in the beginning, anything that you might have changed if you had known these things at the time? Of course, there are many things that you are unaware of. But I think the core, the core aspect of being an entrepreneur is to basically be able to look what you have done, reflect on what has happened, quickly learn, quickly adjust, try it out again, and keep on moving this loop, this momentum forward. So I don't have any regrets looking back to say, "Ah, I, I wish I would have done this, I wish I would have done that. The only regret I always have is if, if I don't see an obvious eye-opening uh, intersection, for example, and if I don't see it, then I, I, I say, hey, Chris, how, how stupid can you be? You know, it's right in there in front of your face. Why don't you see it? Um, but I think that is, the, that is also one of the aspects entrepreneurs have to have. It is that being able to, uh, to, to, uh, to have this agility. And the agility has to come not from change of purpose, 
you should be very, very solid on your purpose. You know, it's the, 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 the metaphor I've painted before saying that make sure that you have fallen in love and don't have your butterflies because butterflies, they fly around. They can leave you very, very fast. But your love needs to be there. Your purpose needs to be there. You don't want to change the very essence of your being. But you need to be agile enough in order to do the right tactical sort of adjustments to the business in order to move forward. And I think this is the most important thing. Rather than regretting I should have done that or what if I would have known this, that's too late anyway. So why bother? You can't change it anyway. So move forward, learn, reflect, implement. Where do you see yourself and what if foods in the next 12 months and five years down the line? So that is a cool question. Okay, let's talk about five and 10 years down the line. Because I cannot tell you what the pandemic is going to throw at us tomorrow and the day after. <laughs> just, look at, just look at where we were a few weeks ago. You know, we were basically out there going around and uh, today we are basically back home and we do this all over again. So uh, it is today easier to plan the five years and 10 years ahead rather than the tomorrow and the next week. Now, but on a serious note, uh, the answer to your question is, I would love to see Wadi Foods to become, to become a serious player in the industry that touches billions of servings on, a, on, a, on an ongoing basis. The reason I'm saying this is because I exactly know if we achieve that sort of level of operation, then these crops that we have identified and made use of in nourishing foods will be part of the system and you can't take them away anymore. So therefore then the impact that we have created through the billion portions are going to be uh, there for a long time to come. So we will have made a huge difference. We will have created an impact on with, with regenerated crops on arable land, with farming communities, for consumers who need nourishing foods. And that is what really inspires us. If we want to become that sort of a, a player industry, then uh, let's aspire to be a Tesla, you know? You start, you start small and a bit more premium, but then you bring your cost production down and then you start really seeding out the cards to the masses. And then you're changing. You're changing the world one meal at a time, truly, for, for, for many, many, many people. And that is what we really want to do. Any advice for those out there who are trying to move you know, into entrepreneurship or make a big switch in life towards a goal like you have? You mentioned butterflies a few times. Anything else? Uh, don't give up. There are a million and, and 500,000 obstacles in front of you. Try to find your love. Try to identify that purpose. Try to find the love in it. And as you do that, you will see the sky is the limit thereafter. The difficult part is to stay at it, to be on it and to keep on developing going forward. And advice is don't try away to be today a better version of who you were yesterday and the before today before yesterday. Because that shows everybody that you're a keen learner. And as a keen learner who is improving continuously, you will be seen as a progressive person. And that is what really matters. So keep on and don't give up. Thank you so much for joining me today, Chris. That was very inspirational and it was really great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for this wonderful conversation that we have had. I truly, truly enjoyed it. Uh, off the cuff speaking with you is always fun. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. And thank you also everyone for listening to this podcast today as well. And I wish everyone a great day ahead. For Food Navigator Asia, this is Perley signing up.